Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister Kay. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on Season 2 of The Librarians. Which may necessitate spoilers for Season 1 and the movies. Yeah, all three movies and Season 1. Um, we've done episodes on the three movies. We've done an episode on uh, the first season. Mm-hmm. We did that a little while after we had watched the first season, which I kind of, in hindsight, think was a little bit of a mistake, but that's how it happened. Well, and I think we watched that show when it was on without really thinking it was podcast material yeah. or with that intent. Whereas we went into this one thinking, you know, we know we're enjoying it and the listeners would probably enjoy talk. So we had podcasting on the brain. Absolutely. We've just finished the uh, two-part finale. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a two-part finale. I guess yeah. the f- we finished the... The, the, the season, final curtain. The final curtain and stuff. And having just in the last week or so watched all 10 episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. And it had a lot of the stuff I liked from the first season. I think they really upped their game in many respects. I would agree. It was a little bit different because in the first season, we've got Flynn Carson, the librarian. Yes. His guardian uh, that he meets in the pilot episode of... of um, Oh, I'm blanking on her name. Eve Baird. Eve Baird, geez. Uh, and they introduced three new librarians, Ezekiel Stone, Cassandra mm-hmm. Killian. Ezekiel and- Jones. Jacob Stone. Jacob Stone. Did I get him wrong? You yeah. you put Ezekiel uh, with Stone. That's okay. fine. Ezekiel Jones, uh, uh, Cassandra Killian, and, and Jacob Stone. I thought I had them all right. Bad with names. And we see them in the first season going from what is a librarian to being kind of graduating as as potential librarians well and they're kind of it's not fair to say but they're the children of the show if you yeah. will they're herded and parented by the other characters and in the first season we saw people who basically didn't show up for the interview to be a librarian we had the ones that again were potential candidates almost forced into service yeah by the end of the season they had grown to where they could become librarians and in this season we really see a little time has elapsed since the first season. Um, they're coming back together as a group. We find out why they had kind of dispersed a little, still doing their own thing. And just kind of the, the getting the band back together and them growing. And I don't want to say being on equal footing as Flynn, because he's still got a decade experience on them. But each one of them being very viable heroes in their own right. Well, there are some TV shows I watch. Like, I watch NCIS, and it's been on for 10 plus seasons Mm -hmm. and there are some characters that okay they're 10 years older Mm -hmm. and there's some obvious maturing that simply comes with aging 10 years but in other respects they're the exact same as they were 10 years ago and that's not something you can say about the characters on the librarians no and i think there was one episode that really epitomized that well and i think you know the one i'm going with it was one that ostensibly is a time loop episode. And uh, Ezekiel Jones, the thief of the group, is the one to recognize that it seems to be a time loop. And 
he basically lives through this adventure who knows how many times, hundreds. Yeah. But he's growing in the process. He's picking up the skills he needs. He's uh, dealing with the, the sense of loss of every time they die, time resets. Well, and there's one situation where some things have to uh, be maneuvered. A, a gas has to be sent through pipes differently and stuff. And a stone is saying, you know, that pipe needs to be moved, but it's 200 degrees. Anyone who touches it will burn their hand. And not once, not twice, but 60 times, Ezekiel goes over and moves it and burns his hand. He takes one for the team. And just seeing his growth just over the course of the episode yeah, was really well done. They had a very interesting spin on... I mean, we've seen time loop episodes in stargate in various movies i'm pretty sure we've seen it in uh various star trek film or tv shows and stuff as well well and uh i'm feeling bad now i can't come up with the name of the tom cruise movie that i enjoyed edge of tomorrow thank you it was very it had aspects of that in it very much so very much so and it showed again just how much his character like i said grew and stuff and that was something we saw with a lot of these characters throughout the season. Mm-hmm. There was usually a good episode for each one where it's like, uh, I think with uh, with Stone, how he had at the one point been writing an article under one of his five pen names. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it's like, no, no, he's going to he's going to take ownership of his knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, just he got past a, an emotional hurdle or anchor or whatever mm-hmm. uh, in his life. Well, it was easier to be known as a dumb jock Mm -hmm. than to man up is the wrong term, but to take ownership of, yeah, I'm an art geek and I'm book nerdy in that respect. And to know that that's not something that is respected by 100% of the population. Yeah. Well, and particularly his father and that they did a very good episode about his relationship to his father, what his father expected out of him, and how he basically just kind of got over it. One of the scenes in that episode that I loved was when the three, I'll call them junior librarians, when they got caught in the room that was the trap for uh, the monster who thrived on lies. Mm -hmm. And the only way out of the trap was to tell truths with emotional weight. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cassandra started telling all kinds of hilarious truths. They had to hold the door open so they could get the the evil beast back in there and trap it. Yeah. So they had to stay there and yeah. um, And two of them had to stay. Yes. You can't just say it. Somebody's got to hear it. Yes. Yes. And that was just well done. Yeah. I also enjoyed the episode on the the haunted campus. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they they play with a couple of, of... I'll say genre aspects or whatever, but you know the um, the horror movie set at a, a, a college campus. They play with a lot of those kind of tropes and stuff. Oh, it cracked me up every time one of the students would say, "Well, yeah, just like every other college, one in five, either students or professors, disappears in the middle of the night and transfers to another school." Kind of like this happens everywhere, and they're like, "No, it doesn't." <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the things they introduced at the beginning of the season which very much led up to the finale was the introduction of uh two characters that were kind of the villains of the season the fictionals the fictionals we had um 
uh, Prospero and uh, James Moriarty. And they were well used. I thought they were well cast. I think it is hilarious because I kept telling you Moriarty was familiar. Mm -hmm. I had to look him up on IMDb. And I was scrolling through his credits. And I'm like, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I might recognize him from this, that, or the other. But none of those were like, I know. And I went to his bio. I recognize him from macaroni and cheese commercials. And don't get me wrong. He does a brilliant job in those commercials. As somebody who's gluten-free and dairy-free, macaroni, which is gluten Cheese, which is dairy. I agree. Oddly enough, I don't get much of that. I don't get me wrong. It's not a product I buy. But when those commercials come on and other people are in the room, I will actually tell them, pay attention. It's hilarious. He was a great actor and did a good job as, as Moriarty. What was interesting to me was how those two kind of echoed uh, Duloc and his mm. uh, right-hand girl or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from the previous season. And I would expect if they do a third season... At the beginning, we'll get kind of the thread of the season introduced. It'll play out throughout the course of it and pay off at the end. Moriarty, I he was really good, don't get me wrong. The actor did great, but there were aspects of it I kind of thought they fell short on. They said up front he was willing to betray Prospero because he was forced into this against his will. And I wanted that to have better payoff. I wanted that to have better payoff, and he was also brought in as the genius mastermind. And I don't feel Prospero, the, the wizard, really used the cunning of Moriarty. I agree. So while it was a fun character to have, um, I could see where they could have had a lot better and stronger payoff for mm -hmm. it. But he again, it, it worked. Well, and part of the problem with bringing in Moriarty is this is a show that really is already very full with the cast they have and with the characters they have. Well, again, you've got six lead characters. Yes. You know, Flynn, Eve, uh, Jenkins, um, and then you've got, again, the other three kind of junior librarians, as, as we call them or whatnot. But, I mean, Jenkins is played by John Larroquette. Amazing. Strong actor there. You've got Noah Wiley as, uh, as Flynn Carson, and he's, you know, anchored TV shows for... I don't know how many seasons. Well, and having just been watching him on Falling Skies, talk about an actor with range. Well, in Falling Skies, he was a very serious, academic, you know, pragmatic kind of a guy. And here, he's just almost bouncing off the walls in an almost whimsical... Well, both of the characters have that strong, academic, seemingly, I don't want to say anti-jock aspect to them but you don't expect to see them out doing the military maneuvers or the football game type thing you expect to see them in the library doing research well i don't expect to see flynn doing research because he just already knows everything okay and the key difference is in falling skies his character was always imparting wisdom on his mm. sons on the other people sharing the knowledge in a very personal way mm-hmm you know, if you don't know the history, you're doomed to repeat it. We want to build a better world. That sort of a thing. Well, both characters, the Falling Skies one and his librarian's character, are at the beginning of each show, each series. It's like they're forced to deal or thrust into an aspect of the real world that's brand new to them. In one, the alien invasion and all that theoretical You see, that's what I was tripping stuff. over, was the, the, the choice of the term, the real world. Well, yes. Because <laughs> one goes with alien invasion, well, the other introduces magic to his world. But I know what you mean, though. Invasion of any sort. 
I mean, it could have been being thrown into World War Two. Well, it was a major shift in the status skies. quo. Yes, exactly. And, and how do they deal with the unexpected and almost inexplicable at first? Both of them get pulled out of their ivory tower mm-hmm. and thrust out into that yeah. non-sheltered university environment. Classic hero's journey. Yes. Journeying to that magical realm of otherworldliness. Yeah. What is fun with the Flynn Carson character is just how much he enjoys the puzzle, the, mm. the figuring things out, the the wonder of it. Well, and Flynn Carson is very much a loner. Mm-hmm. And yet, when the rest of the team was trapped on a Sicily Island, yeah. he gets everybody back to the library and so are trapped in their little bubbles. And when he stands toe-to-toe with each of them, he he tells them the truth of their personal story of their life. Mm-hmm. And it's the, I may be the absent-minded professor, but it's not that I don't see you. It's not that I haven't taken the time to know you, even though I'm off doing my own thing and totally absorbed in my puzzles. I'm not so selfish, I'm oblivious. Yeah. And that was important to let the audience know about his character. Well, and his character is in most but not all of the episodes. Mm. And I think that's a key aspect because some of the people behind the scenes here were from Leverage. Yes. And Christian Kane, who plays uh, Jacob Stone, was on Leverage. And Leverage very much had their mastermind and the con artist. They were kind of the mom and dad of the group. And then you had the three younger ones, not youthful, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. As kind of the quote-unquote kids of the group. Well, and in Leverage, I think they had in at least one episode where those three younger-ish, kid-ish characters flat out said to one another, I hate it when mom and dad argue. Yeah. And I can see that happening among the junior librarians in reference to Flynn and Eve in this show. But what's interesting here is that dynamic of who's the quote mom and dad of the group. The dad is split between Flynn and Jenkins. Yeah. Because often Jenkins is, I mean, for many of the episodes, the final scene was him giving kind of the fatherly advice or the sounding board or whatever. He's their anchor, their tether. Jenkins. He's the wise man of the group. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's used well. And one of the things we noticed at the end of a lot of the episodes, particularly earlier in the season, was how they would end Again, on kind of the the quiet moment back at the annex in the library, they've dealt with whatever they had to deal with, but there's the lingering ramifications. Well, they would have these positive, victorious scenes followed by a very somber moment. It's kind of a, you won this this battle. Yeah. This battle. Yeah. You know, kind of a great victory. I wonder what's next. You Mm -hmm. know, kind of a, and it was a poignant, Again, I don't say uplifting, but somber, but yeah, it's yeah. a very, um, it had a dramatic moment. It was a very interesting way for them to end the episodes. It was a great use of, of Lara Cat. I was pleased how much he was out in the field this season. Yes, yes. You know, he was getting involved in the stories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a terrific actor. He's well used here. And so you've got the, again, those six leads. So to have... Two recurring bad guys. Mm. That's a cast of eight, plus whoever you meet in the process of... Actually, I'm going to say nine, because we actually had the the sprite. Yeah, Ariel. Now, arguably, she's you know was only really strongly used in one episode and was kind of a prop in the rest, if, if that. 
but you know you then fill out with who you need to introduce for these people are in danger we've got to save them here's the bad guy you know mm-hmm. that sort of thing yeah so it's it's a well populated show but not crowded not overused and i've I don't feel like any of the regulars are ones that, you know, they just don't need it. They could give this aspect to this other character and just get rid of somebody. When one of the comments I made to you before we started watching the final two episodes, in part because I wanted you to have time to watch some episodes and see if the comment actually resonated with you or if it was Mm -hmm. just me being me, was I watched Scorpion. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it has a lot of math and science in it. And there will be episodes... Where I'm just sitting there shaking my head going, no, you may be geniuses and I may be nowhere near your IQ, but no, I don't think that works. That that doesn't make sense. Or I think you geniuses just decide magic exists. But then I watch these left, these, sorry, these librarians episodes and I listen to them say this math and this science and this, sometimes they don't even say this magic and this will all work. And I say, yeah, that does make sense. I think there are stronger rules of, I don't want to say physics, but of the universe mm. in the librarians. Things work the way they work. They've thought it through. I'm not going to say they've never kind of violated their own rules or whatever, but I can't think of a case where they have. So it's not like it just slaps me in the face. Whereas, again, going to Scorpion, where it's, again, a team of geniuses. There have been a couple of times I've watched an episode where he's saying, don't do this. It would be really bad. They're going to get stuck having to do that mm-hmm. through some bizarre chain of events, through some, you know, uh, miraculous series of improbability. This will happen. This will happen. It'll get even worse. And there have been a few times things that I know patently violate the laws of actual physics. Yeah. They just kind of, you know, yeah, what the heck? Yeah. Um, And it's almost a how can they put them into the most absurd p- positions possible? Yeah. Under the guise of, well, they're geniuses, they're, they're special, you know, a uh, team resource or whatever. Whereas the librarians, they've got magic, they've got all the excuses of fantasy, fiction, whatever. They could, and have in a few cases, literally gotten into some totally ridiculous situations. The situations in the librarians have an internal logic to it. The Time Loop episode was a great example of that. It was, yes. You know, there's a little, okay, this is absurd how the thing got set up, whatever, but... Okay, they, they reference it, they explain it. Yeah, okay, I'll go with it. Um, but then, if you buy the premise of the episode... Exactly. It held water. Well, and in that exact episode, there's one point where he says, I'm going to show you this and you'll believe me. And he does it and it doesn't happen. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, it really annoys me when you're playing a video game and the darn game knows you always do that so it's no longer going to let you because it's learned how you play the game. Well, anytime you demo something, it fails. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, it, the logic works and it plays. And their universe is internally consistent and coherent. They've got smart writers. They've got a good writing team, I'm going to say, because I'm willing to bet that somebody puts that draft out there and others say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? If not, they just have really good writers then. Yeah. Because... I'm the kind of person that when I read a comic, when I watch a uh, TV show, movie, whatever, if there's something that just flies in the face of, well, wait a sec, you just said X and now you're doing Y, but if X was true, Y, they wouldn't do that. Nobody would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the only place 
in the whole season here that I saw something. It's like, well, wait a sec, I'm a little confused here. Was uh, one of the things they inter- reintroduced into the series in the final episode uh, with the time travel stuff mm. felt like a, a, a contradiction or, or a paradox or whatever. It's like, well, if that happened, how... I, I don't understand the timeline of a particular object is mm. what it came down to. Yeah. But it was fun. It was well done. I don't care. And that's one thing out of an entire season. Yeah. Whereas, you know, uh, again, Scorpion, one or two other shows, I can't go a single episode without thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. And I think the interplay they've got with the characters, they, they understand each character on librarians. They don't dwell on parts they don't need to dwell on. Yeah. We got reference to the the uh, tumor and stuff that, that Cassandra has, but it wasn't something that you just keep beating us over the head with. Well, you know, we had references early in this season to uh, Jenkins' past mm-hmm. and having been knighted the round table. And then fairly early in the final curtain episode, uh, he was talking about Excalibur. Yeah. And the legend of King Arthur. And we'd had the Lady of the Lake in the college episode. Mm-hmm. And even with the exact way he talked about Excalibur, saying that uh, the one who wielded Excalibur before would return, I didn't see what they had coming. But they played fair. They also had had in an earlier episode a message from a past librarian. They had planted seeds over the course of the season for the finale. Yeah. And things build up and pay off. And to me, they came, they go into a season saying, we're going to introduce this at the beginning. Here's how it's going to play out at the end. So we can sprinkle a little thing in there. So it's not arc episode, arc episode, filler, filler, arc episode, filler, arc, you know, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Everything feels relevant. Some a little bit more, you know, a field and a little off arc, but Mm. still relevant to what's going on. Yeah. And again, it's a sign of good writing that they're able to do that. It doesn't feel like, okay, this is an Ezekiel episode, this is a Cassandra episode, this is a Jacob episode. Don't get me wrong, there's certain episodes, the, the time loop one, clearly heavy on Ezekiel. Uh, the one with uh, with uh, Jacob's dad, very heavy on him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like everyone else is getting ignored. Exactly. It's just, okay, the spotlight's a little bit more over here, but everybody else is still clearly illuminated by said spotlight. Yeah. Whereas there are some shows where it seems like this episode, we're going to focus on character X. And you're like, geez, I wonder what happened to everyone else. What are they doing this week? There are some shows that seem like they can only write a certain number of characters. And that means if they have one guest star too many, one of your regular characters isn't on screen this week. Well, a good example of that was numbers. Yes. Where it's up, we brought somebody in, so suddenly one of the regulars is off getting training. Yes. And the fact that they can balance, you know, a team of of six people at the library plus two villains. In one case, they had another person that they had brought in for the episode that was a a pivotal character. Um, But it, it didn't feel like anyone was getting overshadowed, ignored, or that they just ran out of room, if you Mm -hmm. will. Yeah. And I began, the the sense of balance there, the consistency of of who the characters are across the season with their growth and stuff like that. It never feels like somebody grows and then reverts for an episode and then grows again. Exactly. I was going to say the only thing that comes close to being, being an exception is uh, poor Ezekiel in the time loop episode. 
But again, they set that up and played fair with that. They did. And it was one that I was kind of hoping at the end there'd be a hint that maybe he hadn't reverted. Yeah. But he, the way they came out of that final loop, he was the one who didn't remember. And it was so funny watching the others tell him, no, really, man, you were the one who came through. What was great was in that last loop, he was, no, guys, you've got to trust me. I'm not the loser you think I am. You know what I mean? The kid you think I am. And he, he, and they're basically watching him closer that loop, realize just how much he's grown, how much he's learned. Yeah. And then they leave that episode with all of them knowing what he is truly capable of and him being back to kind of his old self. Yeah. Which you almost have to do in that sort of an episode. Because if you were to do one episode where suddenly, be it a time loop or some other shenanigans, somebody learns all of these wonderful skills and they've mm. just leveled up or a level or two. Yeah. People who miss the episode are going to be like, when did this happen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's it really showed how much room for growth there is for that character mm-hmm. and really how capable that actor is. Yes. Well, and this whole season showed how much the characters had grown since we first met them, which I love. Yeah. I really thought the writers deserved just heaps of praise for showing from really the first or second episode. They grew a lot last season and they're going to grow a lot more this season. Well, and they need to grow a lot more in a few areas. Yes. One of the things that was fun at the beginning was how all the librarians had kind of gone their different ways. And Ezekiel, um, um, Cassandra, and Jacob had started working together, but then split off for a bit. And they're like, why? How come? And getting that group back together and back functioning well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was well done because it was something that they believably worked through. And it was one that they, they still like each other. They still want to work together. But, yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard to work with certain people. Yeah. Um. Well, and I enjoyed the different ways that Eve had of helping them learn to work together. Sometimes it was, I'll be with you and I'll help you. And other times it was, the three of you can go out there together and work through your own problems. Yeah. I'm not always going to be there. I'm here supporting you at your back, but... Well, and with six characters, you can split them off into different pa- different pairs and different episodes, rotate things, and, and just see how various characters interact with each other. Yeah. And also how t- different characters solve problems. Yes. I mean, there was one scene um, where most of the, the adventure took place in the library in that episode, and the way um, Ezekiel and Flynn solved their problem was a very out-of-the-box kind of thing, and something that actually I expected to get referenced later of kind of a follow-up on how things worked out. Worked out. Yes. And we haven't yet, and I hope we do later. Yeah. Just because it was fun, it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then also, when you've got uh, Jacob and Eve having to, to go against, who was it, the, the Red Queen or whatever? Yes, yes. And how they had to think through that problem and how they had to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and just, again, the interplay. Yeah. You know, it was also clear in that, that first episode this season when everyone's gathering back up, the way they greeted each other, how they interact, it's kind of like a little bit of a reunion kind of a thing, which was a great way to start the season. Yes. So um, I'm not sure if they're doing a third season. I hope they are. 
I really hope they are. This is, I mean, it's one of those shows that I kind of prefer binging because of the great arc they have, but it's really one of my favorite shows, and I just hate waiting for it to come out. Well, and with 10-episode seasons, you know, binging on it is, is you know, mm. two, three evenings. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I only see the 20 episodes listed listed at IMDb. Okay, so maybe they so. just haven't made up their mind yet. I, I would be surprised if it doesn't come back for another season. Or three, to be honest. This is a show that could easily go five, six seasons. Worst case, you wind up having to... It's got a season three. Okay. In worst case, you, you wind up having to replace a librarian or something. And that's perfectly within the format of the show. Yeah. I mean, at this point, the hardest character to replace would be Jenkins. It's got 13 episodes for a third season. Oh, so they're going for a longer one. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, looking forward to that. It's They've done just a, a terrific job on this. The other thing I thought was a lot of fun, and I commented on one of the episodes, the prop department. Oh, it's amazing. Does just a stellar job. They had, in one case, some handheld electronic widgety things, and I'm like, that's cool looking. The magic been, hunting and stuff. Yeah, there have been a couple of shows we'll watch something. I'm like, hey, I've got that device. In yes. one case, I think it was actually the uh, the Zoom H5 we were recording with right now. Yes. Um, I forget which show that was. Anyways. That might have been 12 Monkeys. I think it was. It might have been. But it's. I, I love how with the librarians, they've got the tech stuff that's cool, the old-timey magic-y stuff that's cool. Mm-hmm. And just the the attention to detail, the the craftsmanship, the the, the props look amazing. I loved uh, Shakespeare's quill. Yeah, it was Prospero's original Prospero's original wand. Yeah, well, they did a, a good job with that. Even some of the minor things of like the plaque or whatever and stuff. The only thing prop wise I didn't like in the finale was when they would cut. Uh, you know, they would be in the the future, the 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 more present day stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, Jenkins would be talking, and they would go over to the- Sketching. The sketching, which seemed very much like a Photoshop sketch mode of the next scene. Yeah. And I get why they did that, but it's something that had they actually gotten an artist to, okay, here's the scene, go hand draw, and then fade in, would have just kicked that up a a, a notch for me. Yeah. But from a, a strictly pragmatic point of view, it's like, yeah, it was there for, you know, five seconds or something- over the course of the episode, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Um, but their effects overall are, are terrific. The yeah, props I gotta say, look great. it's just a it's a well done show. I loved uh, Eve's makeup when she was in sixteen eleven, and I loved it because it was such a natural, unmade up look. Mm. And I just thought, you know, somebody took the time to do just a beautiful. She looks like she isn't wearing makeup job that and also uh the makeup in the attire for the nightclub episode yes i mean they've just done a couple of things that were you know not hard to do or whatever but took some effort i mean with the finale a lot of it takes place in the 1600s and we've got zillions of extras it felt like in period costume yeah so they're not cutting corners it's not one of those shows where it feels like you've got the the lead actors and a pretty empty universe otherwise mm. mm-hmm. or they're just happening to, to film on location and whoever's in the background's in the background no 
Some cases, they go to a lot of effort to get people that look like they need to look like. Moriarty had some great wardrobe. Yeah. As thugs, for that matter. At one point, he had thugs following him around, yeah. and they looked more like Victorian area era thugs than actual modern day. And I'm sure they were modern day guys he'd hired, but still. Yeah, it was just funny to me. Yeah. But to me, that goes to the props, the costuming, Mm -hmm. and the attention to detail the show has. Exactly. You know, it. they felt like the sort of thugs he would have. Mm -hmm. Whether they were from somewhere else or, you know, locals, almost doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's nice to have a show that doesn't seem to, like I say, cut corners or um, make concessions or whatever. It's like they're they're taking this seriously. They're doing a really good job. Mm -hmm. Um, The... uh, the visuals sometimes there was the one episode where they started with the overhead shot of the annex and i'm like wow you know somebody actually spent a little bit of time and trouble with how they're filming this how they're doing it Mm -hmm. that happened to be directed by uh, jonathan frakes from uh, uh, star trek next generation guy who plays Riker, great director you know yeah i'll 100 percent agree with that and i love the card catalog in the annex Mm mm-hmm I think there's a whole generation that has no clue about card catalogs. Well, and that was one of the things that was a fun kind of a running gag. Ezekiel's like, mm-hmm. I grew up in the internet era. Why would I need to know this? Yes, yes. And a few other times, if he's, you know, read a book. I loved that the only person who knew all the security protocols for the library was Ezekiel. Yes, that was a nice flip on the whole thing of, he usually doesn't know certain things, but this is something, of course I read this. How, how have you not read this? Yeah, usually he's, he's the thief. Usually he's the, I know it from the movie, but in that case, he'd read every page of the book. Yeah. And of course, the others are like, who would do that? And it, it shows that while they're all librarians in that case, they are very different mm-hmm. kinds of librarians. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun when they, they get split off to do the different tasks. There's the, okay, it's an art history thing, so Jacob will go do it. It's a thieving security thing. Okay, give it to Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, they've got their roles. They can get outside of them, so they're not trapped by them. But there's a certain comfort in expectation. Oh, they're dealing with this, then I would expect that one to, to take the lead. Yeah. Or have something useful to say. The science, the math, go with Cassandra, yeah. Yeah. The, the librarian lore, oh, well, that'll be Jenkins. Oh, it's, you know, what do we do next? Well, you know, Eve usually is the one to give direction or something. Yes. So if you haven't watched the show, um, I would imagine it's streaming somewhere. The show was on TNT. The show's on TNT. Um, if your cable provider has a deal with the TNT website, you can watch it on there sometimes. Uh, it kind of comes and goes. I looked for it on Netflix recently and didn't see it, actually. I picked up the movies, of the librarian movies, starring the Flynn Carson character, on Amazon a while back. I would imagine they've got the first season on DVD. Again, TNT probably airs this frequently. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, frankly, a really good franchise for them. Yeah, it is. I thought they were working on a streaming deal with someone... It might have been Hulu, but I just don't know who they're streaming with right now. But yeah, definitely check it out. Right now, I mean, it'll change over time, possibly. It will. It's it's a show worth watching. Uh, The original movie, again, Bob Newhart, uh, Jane Curtin, terrific cast. They were in all three movies. That's the episode we didn't touch on at all, though. The uh, I mentioned a little how they brought another character in for one episode that was pivotal. Well, that's true. 
the guy who plays Butch on Gotham guest starred yes. for an episode. Yes, and that did a terrific job. Yeah, as the library. Yeah, it was an amazing episode. And just, yeah, fantastic. It was one of those where they were still at the beginning of the season, over the course of the season, actually, dealing with the ramifications of the library having been cut off and reacquired over the first season. Mm -hmm. So there's the sense of things matter, you know, and there will be repercussions and things to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And how the intellect of the library, the the mind, the intelligence of it, had just kind of gotten split, split off from it. Yeah. And how they had to basically go realize that go find that and go bring that back yeah it was a very fun episode great use of flynn great use of i forget that actor's name um but he's just he does a terrific job here terrific job over on gotham although we're behind on gotham yeah um and again it shows how they can do things that having the magic having the fantasy aspect of the series allows them to do things you just couldn't really do any other way well, it's funny because one of my favorite parts of that episode was towards the very end of it. And uh, Flynn and Eve, to an extent, they'll they'll yell out to the building itself. You know, come on, what's with mixing up everything on the desk? That kind of thing. And one of his last lines is, and you don't have to yell, I can hear you. Well, in a comment either in that episode or a later one, as you're talking to the building, it doesn't seem so crazy now. I've met him. Yes! Yes! I, I just expected at some point somebody to, to just, you know, yell out or whatever and have one of the cards from the library float down with an answer. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, once you've been on a road trip with the building, it's not so crazy. Um, And I loved how in that episode, when he is out having captured Flynn and stuff, he's driving a bookmobile. Yes. A portable library. Yeah. They do fun little touches like that. Mm-hmm. You know? And just, uh, again, at the beginning of one of these last two episodes, we start with Flynn basically running in a forest being chased by ninjas. Yes. There's a sense of the absurd about it without being ridiculous or making fun of the premise. Yeah. They have fun with it. You know, they could easily do an entire season where pretty much every episode is like a different kind of a genre. Yes. They could take the psych approach. You know, well, you could argue they kind of already have to a degree. But I mean, imagine one where they actually have ninjas for the, the full episode or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so it's definitely a show worth checking out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out the movies, the first season, this season. Um, I think they've got a, a terrific cast, well done writing, production values, everything. Um, and again, the basic thing is they are protectors of knowledge. They are trying to keep the dangerous artifacts and magic. You know, uh, these are weapons of mass destruction. They're trying to get them out of harm's way. Yeah. And I think this season did a great job of uh, of helping Eve to understand the true purpose of a guardian. Mm-hmm. So I really recommend it. think it's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the third season whenever it starts. Yeah. My only advice is if you're going to watch it, Plan to watch an entire season. Don't think I'm just going to check out a few episodes. What I would do if you really want to get into this property, again, hunt down the three movies. Yeah. They're like two hours each. And watch they, them. You, they and stand alone. They stand alone. Absolutely. Uh, they take place a few years apart or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you get to the point of watching the first season, again, it's 10 episodes. 
uh, you know, do it in three, four episode chunks or something. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there were any two-parters in the middle. I think it works pretty well. But try, I mean, if you've got the, the time on like a Saturday or something, mm. get some yeah. pizza, get some snacks or whatever, something you can munch on and just start in the morning. You can literally, 10 episodes minus commercials, we're talking eight hours-ish. Yeah. Nine hours, maybe, whatever. Um, it's, it's. You could do it over the course of a day. It's a fun day. Yeah, it's a fun ride. And this is one of those shows. It's like, hey, do we want to go for another? Let's go for another. We want to go for another? Let's go for another. Yeah. And to me, um, this is probably, out of the stuff we've been watching recently, the second best one for, yeah, let's go for another. I would put 12 Monkeys. Okay, yeah. That was a no. We got to figure out what's happening. Got to see that next thing. Got to see, you know. Yeah. To me, that's the sign of a really compelling show. You want to just keep watching. Yeah. And with, with with 10 episode seasons, that's something that, again, you start at a uh, noonish, little earlier or whatever on a, a Saturday and you've got food and sustenance and stuff. Great way to spend a day. I agree. So And still have time for other things over the weekend. <laughs> so highly recommended. Think you should check it out. Anything else? Does that do it? That does it. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.